Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast. Today's guest is a pretty special one because it's the first time we've had the same person on twice in a row. Hey, Dad? You might say we have a repeat guest. You, you could say that, yeah. Yeah, so Pete Beskis was uh, episode number two, I believe, at the very beginning, a, a whole year ago. And it was kind of um, intuitive for me to, to go back and listen to one of his uh, parts of his, his pod. And, and I was back in there and I thought to myself, man, I, I wonder how much different a, a podcast with, with Pete would sound after a year of this. And not very many days later, Pete reached out um, on the Instagram machine to tell me that he'd still listening and he still liked it. And I thought to myself, since there's no such thing as serendipity, uh, that must mean it's uh, Pete and I got to sit down and do this all this whole thing one more time. Yeah, and it was a really good pod this time. You guys talked about a lot of the same things, but obviously you were both a whole year older and you were both had the year of experiences. So you talked a lot about that. Uh, you spoke briefly about it, and I really enjoyed it. You talked about burnout, and I experienced that not too, too long ago. And the reason I enjoy listening to this podcast is because of the experiences that these other older people have had and how they've gotten through it has really helped me in some ways to apply that to myself because these people have taken some situations that I've been forced into as well, and they've pushed it and turned it into a really fortunate opportunity, so... I thought that was really cool to listen to, and I, I think that's always really cool to listen to, but that was probably my favorite part of the pod today. Yeah, and, and I agree that that's a, a cool thing, and it is kind of goes to show that, um, you know, burnout doesn't have to look a certain way to be real. It can look a certain way to a 14-year-old kid. It can look a certain way to a 45-year-old uh, adult, and it can look a certain way inside and outside. So <clears throat> I think that's a, a really good takeaway from it is that is there are ways to take these stories and apply them to your own life. Yeah, it's just, um, especially now that I'm like growing up and maturing and realizing all these things, to be able to sit down and listen to some of these podcasts and be like, so other people experience this just really has helped me in some ways. And obviously, I've tried a lot of the strategies that they've given, and I haven't really, not all of them have worked out for me, but they're not supposed to. Those are what worked out for other people, but it's put me on the right track of trying to find something that did work for me. Oh, yeah, and that's great. That's, um, you know, that's the whole point behind this. That's great to hear. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that you're, you're having that experience and I, I hope other people are as well. But as, uh, as we get kind of clicking along here, we want to make sure that uh, the main event doesn't get lost. So without any further ado, Pete Beskis. Thanks, Gord. I really appreciate you having me back again. This is so much fun. Yeah, it's really good. And I, I've, I've made it till five seconds in before doing a repeat joke. And, and I wanted to get that far at least before I said a repeat guest. So <laughs> Well, you know, it is a dad joke. It is a kind of a good dad joke, Leiden. Yeah, that's right. And then I, uh, that's what people expect from me, I guess. I, I lean into those pretty hard when things get awkward. So it's, uh, it's a good place to be. So uh, in a year, what has changed, I guess? Uh, it's been about a year, a little better than a year. What's, what's going on with, um, with all the things Pete Beskis in California since the last time you, we chatted? Well, you know, it's actually, it's great. Like that's a, the last year has been a, a lot of growth, a lot of learning for me. Um, you know, I was 
I'm doing my coaching business and I'm really focusing on helping men, especially through these transitions of burnout, middle age. You know, we talked about last time, I thought we brought up a lot of great points about um, creating kind of a balanced human being, a balanced person, you know, and in the last year, I've really tried to focus my message on helping men and fathers to achieve that balance, to be able to, you know, um, enjoy the life that they've created, enjoy the life that they currently have now. Um, but, you know, we're usually not satisfied with just where we're at now, also help them to lay the foundations to create that legacy and that future that they're really going to be excited and passionate about. Yeah, that was actually the thing that I took back. I actually kept all my notes from each guest and, and I've had some notes. And then when I listened back, it was the concept of the composite human being. And that was something that I wanted to ask about um, and, and how that is changed for you. And, and as you're kind of uh, working with people to build that uh, that mindset, how that you know is evolving for for you in your practice. Yeah, how that evolves is it, it never. I believe that my con the, the idea of that composite human being, the idea of creating balance in the four quadrants of your of your personality and your life. You know, being your mind, your body, your relationships, and your wealth, and your you know your money. Um, having balance in those four areas is still fundamental to what I teach men and what I teach uh, my clients as we're going forward. But what I've learned over the last year is that, you know, there are definitely pain points that we're trying to overcome. Um, and usually it focuses in one of those four areas. And it's really easy to identify that, you know, as men and as providers and as people that are looking forward in the future, we oftentimes will fixate on a single problem without really realizing that it is a holistic problem in all those four areas. Right. And I can see just thinking of, of a couple of those, you know, how one can, could manifest and create problems across all of them. And if you're really only focusing on one space, wealth, for instance, you know, people say a lot of marriages have problems when, when money becomes an issue. Well, if, if it's a money issue, it very quickly can start to affect your health and your relationships and all these other things. And then your frame of mind, now it's become a, a problem across all four pillars but really you're, you're calling it a money issue and, it, and it's not that. No, it's not. And, and again, we like to fixate on the things we think we can control, right? So, you know, I think a lot of us, the first thing we try to change is our financial situation. And we're like, we're providers, we work hard, we go to our jobs. A lot of times, you know, this account, this happened to me in my career, we identify 100% with what we do, not who we are, right? Yeah. The first thing we ask each other when we, you know, for strangers, we meet on the street, oh, what do you do, right? And that identity usually wraps up into that wealth component. How much money do we make? How much do we provide for our family? And I believe that, you know, we lose sight of that we provide for our families and for ourselves more than just a paycheck. Absolutely. And that's, that's interesting. That's something that I've um, worked really hard over the last number of years to uh, not do when I meet somebody new is to ask them what they do for a living because of the perceptions that come along with that. I don't, you know, if someone says I'm a, I'm a, a police officer or if I'm a teacher or a, I work in oil and gas, there's perceptions about, about the living that, that those, you know, occupations bring that has nothing to do with the person that's standing in front of me. Right. It's, it's got nothing to do with them. So it's about learning, learning who that person is, what makes them tick, you know, how compatible in their life at their situation are they to where I am in my life and my situation and making those connections. Because ultimately that's, 
what I'm trying to do, you know, with this podcast and, and a number of other things in my life is to, to make connections with people, whether they're, you know, fleeting or lasting, a connection is a connection. And at that point, maybe that person is just what you need. And then going on, you don't need that anymore. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's, and that's a really salient point that you're making there, because I believe that every person that we interact with, right. There, there's lessons we can learn. And as we get older, um, we tend not to seek out teachers. Right. That's something that, again, when we're building relationships, when we're reaching out, when we're opening that bandwidth, it's really easy for us to now find new teachers to learn from. And then as we learn, we grow and our priorities change, our values change, and how we approach the world changes. Well, unless somebody does something uh, like you and your wife did, where you, you make a clean break after a, a, an extended period in your careers, you know, at that point, you understood you needed to find teachers and, and help people to help you with that. But if, without that, it might never present that, hey, there's probably somebody out there whose experience I can draw on without having to live this the hard way, right? Yeah, correct. It's actually funny. I've, I've run a couple of polls in my uh, not so official capacity. But what I've come to realize as I've been talking to more men and I've been talking to more of the um, digging out more of what the issues are, I've noticed that um, two thirds of men will not ask for help or will wait till the absolute till you know the house is burning before they'll call the, the department right yeah and that's a that for me is a scary number because that, what that suggests is that you know we're we are in you know it is very difficult for us to reach out and get help when we need it and i think that kind of goes back to the idea that until something's really broken until something bad happens we're gonna sit and just try to figure it out ourselves. So one of the things that I thought about, you know, when I was trying to come up with some ideas for us to talk about was one of the things that's changed a lot since the last time you and I spoke was uh, the, the perception of change in our society of COVID, right? And we've kind of been able to open up the world, move around a little bit and see what's changed, you know, whether or not we're materially seeing the change just or just the the beginnings of it since, you know, a, a global pandemic shut the world down for the better part of two years. And one of the things that I'm noticing and that I see is these, the, the acknowledgement of how something like that can affect people, men, women, children. And I feel like there's more opportunities out there for men to put their hand up and ask for help. Is that, is that something that I'm just noticing because I'm looking for it now? Or is that something that you would agree is, is a little more prevalent? I, I do think it's more prevalent. And I, I believe that what happened with COVID and also what happened even microscopically in Alberta, for example, with the downturn, is that when people are faced with a challenge, that's usually when they reevaluate their priorities, right? And, right. What, and they're forced to evolve, they're forced to change. And on a global scale, COVID did that. It created unemployment. It created stay-at-home dads, which were roles that historically men do not do right? And challenges of connecting with your children, trying to juggle work-life balance, trying to, you know, all the things that women have been dealing with for, you know, the last 50, 60, 70 years as they entered the workforce was thrust upon us as men in a lot of cases. So I think that opened it up and, you know, we're slow adopters. And, and this is one thing I, I always laugh about guys, we're slow adopters. It takes us a long time to see what, you know, to, to get that help, to look at something outside of the norm but once we do we're great implementers 
And I think you're seeing that a little bit that now that you're aware of it, but you're seeing that it's there and those opportunities exist. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that came out of it was I, I, you know, I've been attending some, some uh, groups myself and, and I participate with a couple of, of other ones that where, you know, on more peripherally. And one of the things that always kind of jumps out at me as, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm a wily old veteran of these things by any means, but I've been around of them, a couple of them enough that I'm not the new face at the meetings, you know, however often they meet, some of them are more frequently than others. And uh, the, you can see the the change happen in people. They come in, sometimes they're a little skeptic, their friend brought them or they heard about it and it sounded appealing until they got there and then it's scary, right? There's all these people standing around, uh, they're talking because they know each other, you're new, you, you know, might know one or two people in the room. And then they start to see some some vulnerability and some honesty and some things that they can relate to, even if you know, especially after a couple of times, I can see on someone's face where they're, I don't want to say melting, but, but it's different. They're going, Oh, Oh, that, that guy with, you know, the Harley Davidson patch and the sleeve tattoos feels the same way I do. And and he might look completely different than that. And it's okay to feel that way. And it's, it's interesting as, you know, implementers, that's ultimately, that's like a, a $10 word for change. And change is something that even now, men specifically, society as a whole, really, really doesn't embrace and, and you know, deal well with. Yeah, and that, I think that goes back to our fear. It's just fear of change because it's unknown. You know, a lot of situations that we get ourselves into, we are, I'm not going to say happy, but we're comfortable being in a situation that doesn't serve us because it's not as scary as what the alternative is. Does that oh, make, does that make sense? Totally. I, I, I've actually, after like my job loss in 2020 and the way I've come into all this, I've absorbed, like I, I've read so many books and, and so many things on change. Um, I, I actually just recently did a, a man talk Monday for one of the groups that I'm involved with men's league. And it was about the concept of change and how people will, you know, not only look past the advantages or the upside of change, but even just the, the benefits of going through change yourself and becoming a better person, a more composite human being, um, just because there may be a downside. You know what I mean? It, it, we discount completely what could come of it because we just don't want to ever risk anything going further back. So we might be operating at 80% and somebody will come along and offer you an opportunity to work at 95, but we're just deathly afraid of ending up at 70. So we don't do anything and we just live at 80, right? That's right. It's the, it's the bird in the hand, right? That old adage of a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And we often play it safe. Our point, right? Like there's a reason we play it safe. And I don't know if you've read David Goggins, but in his book, um, Can't Hurt Me, he talks about how what he pushed himself to the absolute physical limits of his life, like almost died um, doing an extreme, uh, extreme race, like those hundred mile races. And basically said that what he learned was that even when we think we're tired and we're exhausted, we're only using about 40% of what we have to give. <laughs> and when you, when you put that into context, what are we protecting? We're protecting putting in a hundred percent effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. David Goggins, he might be done now, but he's been up in Fort St. John now for uh, about a month training with the, with the, uh, the parachute firefighters up there. And we were, I was up there, I want to say two weeks ago, 
and it was snowing it was the it was like the the early mid-april warm but it was snowing and everyone was saying oh you just missed david goggins running down here with a toque and no shirt on you know he's just out there doing david goggins things in fort st john bc i was like that that guy's beyond anything uh i'm ready to put my onto my life but yes to 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 your point i've read his work and and i find um his his mental stoicism uh it's it's like unbelievable but it's like not something that the average person can comprehend when he talks about stretching that tumor away by stretching for six hours a day for like three years it's just like holy cow who does that right right and, and i think that's the extreme case obviously you know, we're trying to and again i practice balance and i practice trying to create that you know how do you create that balance in all aspects so you can enjoy living in the now while you're also creating something going future right um but it does go does to speak is that if you don't have a goal and this is something else i've learned especially over the last year is that you know men want camaraderie they want a boat crew you know there's a reason we all love band of brothers and vikings and 300 right we love yeah. the idea of camaraderie we love a challenge but we don't want to necessarily do it alone right and so that's something that we're craving and i think you're seeing that in the men's groups i'm seeing it in a lot of the men's groups that i'm a part of and I, i'm very proud to be in um, we want support. And then the second one, we want a goal. We want something to work towards, right? And we want to be able to create something that's bigger than ourselves, something that's lasting. And for most of us, I would, you know, I, 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 ha I hazard the guess here to say that for most of us, that's our family. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that I kind of was, was going to lead this into is, you know, you do this work on yourself, um, you, you recognize the ability and, and the wherewithal and, and the want to do it. But ultimately, it, it kind of comes down to you do these things because you want to be thought of as a good mate and a good provider. So it's, it's about being a, a, the, the traditional male figure and a father. And, you know, you can do some of this work, but it doesn't necessarily always translate into how, how to be a good partner, how to be a good father. Are you seeing people also want to reach out on those fronts and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm doing good as a, as a man myself, but I need help with these other, you know, we talked about the pillars earlier. Yeah, and one of my clients, um, that was what we ended up coaching on for the entire time in our, that we worked together. He came because he was feeling like he needed to create some balance, but we really focused on how he was showing up for his children and for in, in his marriage. And it was interesting to see that a lot of what we do as men is we think it's that definition of what makes us a good parent, what makes us a good spouse. Um, and then that becomes what we work towards, but it's not aligned with what we really want to create. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. So it's like, we go out, like I said before, we go out thinking that be the provider, be the strong person, solve all the problems. But in the reality, what we, what we need to achieve in order to create that, connection with our family is empathy patience true leadership right and I, I know a lot has been made about being a good leader in the workplace right there are thousands of books and thousands of coaches out there who teach leadership on how to become the best ceo and the best vp and everything else but i actually think that it, leadership in your family is probably the most important leadership's role you're going to have well, and it'll be like the only one that anyone remembers you for. 
I mean, unless you're Lee Iacocca or Steve Jobs or something, right? Like, no, nobody remembers the CEO of, um, you know, XYZ company, but, but your legacy in that walks around every day and they, everyone knows that, that Liam Kiteley's dad is Gord, right? So, so yeah, that's, and, that's and, the important part. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what, you know, from my point of view, my passion is to have that connection with my, with my family, have that connection with my children, be the version of the, of the person I want them to, you know, up to be and teach them those tools. And I think this is something else that comes out of self-discovery and learning these lessons. Once you have children, you can now be that, that teacher, that mentor for your children. Right. Those lessons you learn don't stop at you. Yeah. And that's, that's a reasonable, uh, that's a reasonable statement. It's just, it's sometimes, um, the, the way I I'm thinking, you know, the way some, I learned some of these lessons were such the hard way that it may be difficult for somebody who isn't equipped to figure out a way to teach that lesson one generation down without it being the hard way. Again, it, it takes some practice to craft that. Yeah, it does. And I think the work is really what, once you acknowledge that that's the case, like I said, it's really, what do we want? We want to execute a hard goal, but we need to have a purpose behind it. Why are we doing it? And to go through the hard parts of change, you need to be able to tie it back to the why. And the why is, who are you doing this for? right? Are you doing it? You're doing it for yourself. Yes. And then you're also learning those skills to be able to pass those down to the next generation. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I suppose it's, um, you, you just, sometimes the why is, is cloudy, I guess, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking of, you know, it, cause we're, we're so bombarded with information that oftentimes we understand what the right decision is, or we understand the right behavior but we're just not wired that way yet. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's without some introspection or some self-awareness, it's very difficult to make ourselves behave in that manner. And even though you're doing, you know, and I, I do this lots to myself, I'm doing it wrong and I, I know it's wrong, but this is how I do it. And, and then I get to the end and I like, and then I look back and say, well, but I'm unhappy with the result. And it's like, well, no wonder you're unhappy. You knew it was wrong. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's moving that one step further from, I know what the result is that I don't want. Do you know the result that you do want? Yeah. And then work towards that goal. Begin with the end in mind. That's fair. Right. And I'm an engineer at heart, right? So it's always, what's the end result? And let's reverse it. Let's go backwards from that. And let's look what to do. And play in. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's just, it's the, the, engineer part of it and the engineer part of my brain is like absolutely let's and then you remember you have all these people involved right the the person that's trying to teach the lesson the purpose that you're trying to teach the lesson to the people around that are reacting to that interaction and all these variables could create this uh completely unforeseen result and then everyone's kind of left going hmm that didn't go so well or maybe it went well i don't know right well and that's so this is what I love. And I get totally excited about this kind of conversation because that's the point. The point is to create a vision of what you want to create, try it, 
you know, just like any good project, any good science experiment, right? There are going to be iterations, but the learnings in the iteration, in the right. try it one way, see how it works. Then, you know, you don't beat yourself up because it doesn't work. You go back to the drawing board and you revise another, another version, another um, hypothesis, another theory, you go and try it again. Um, and it's, and it actually, this is one of the things I love doing with my clients is let's brainstorm an idea and have a sounding board and collaborate with somebody who does, who's not invested in the end result other than just trying to get you there to create that path. And what, how is that received? Is that something that you can do early on or do you have to create some framework around how that conversation and brainstorm goes in order to, uh, to, to get to a reasonable place with it? I think that's one of the initial things I love to do because realistically it's about creating that reason of why, like creating that excitement. You've got to have excitement around change. Otherwise it won't stick. Right. Yeah. And for me, that's one of the fundamental first steps is what's, what's the dream? What's, what is it you're trying to accomplish? Who are you trying to have this relationship with? Why do you want to have that corner office? what is the reason behind shifting a job or, you know, quitting a job? Like all of those things, you start digging into those reasons why to look, to find that kernel of true desire. And then you can implement those steps. And then you can, then it's easy. Putting the steps in is super easy. It's really clarifying that target where you can try to be. Yeah. I, and then I suppose if you do that early enough, um, you know, there's, a, there's a question of, you know, I don't want to say grooming, but, if you and you and your client have conversations for six uh, six sessions, and then you say, "Okay, you know, here's the here's the exercise I want to do," that person has an idea of where you're coming from and where you've you know where you've been, where you where you've taken them to this point. Whereas if you do it in session two or something like that, that's you're gonna get that the raw truth of where this person is currently at and and where they want to go, and that helps you plan those steps, right? Yeah, and I always think to start that conversation early because you don't want bias right no absolutely often, not yeah what we often do is we change our desire to to appease people right yeah. and you want that raw what do i really want you gotta you know check in with what your real desire is and why you want to do it once that's set in Man, it's, it's funny how, like I said before, guys are implementers. Most guys will just start and get it going. And they're just, they struggle with the plan and believing that the end result is possible. Well, and I've, I've interviewed a couple of people that, that talk about doing things a little differently in, on their second acts. And especially a couple of guys that were, were really successful. Um, they both identified as people pleasers. And, you know, in the right... Um, vocation being a people pleaser can lead to tremendous success and from the outside it would look like there's never any need to change anything because of the big house and the fancy cars and the blah 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 that are the traps of success you know from the outside and they were terribly unhappy right and then they realized that once they were able to set some limits and say no to certain things and, and be able to work on things that fulfilled them and filled their cup they were far, far happier, even though maybe from the outside looking in, they were driving an older vehicle, they lived in a smaller house or whatever the measure of success that person held may be. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because right now I live in the smallest house I've ever lived in and I'm 15 minutes from the beach. 
Well, yeah, and I mean, there's probably a, a part of you that with your full life experience to this point, you're able to arrive at that far. You know what I mean? Like if you if this is what you'd done, if you'd if you'd come out of high school being able to throw a 96 mile an hour fastball and you got drafted to USC and, and that's where you lived, you you wouldn't appreciate that as much. A few Canadian winters, a few road trips out to the Drayton Valley field office in January makes you appreciate 10 minutes from the beach in California way, way more. Right. But again, I think it's that adversity, right? It's overcoming that adversity, but then, you know, you can very easily take it for granted if you haven't had adversity. Right. And that's, I think to your point, when you come out of school with the 96 mile an hour fastball, all doors will open. Right. But what happens when you get an injury? What happens when you get laid off? What happens when, you have, you get diagnosed with cancer, like I did. Um, you have to reevaluate. You have to look at how you're doing things. And um, unfortunately, like I mentioned before, most of us won't make a change until something's broken. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where I think this movement of men's groups and awareness and, you know, COVID helped push that agenda forward, I think, to create awareness around you don't have to wait till it's broken to start working on it. So how, how close were we societally before COVID to having some of these realizations? Like, I feel like this was something that was the, we were on the precipice of, there was a bunch of people that realized it didn't work anymore, but we didn't know what to do with it. And then something like COVID comes along and um, there's this opportunity for some people to take a step back, take a deep breath and start to do some things that really move this whole, you know, I don't want to call it a movement, but this idea forward that people can put their hand up and ask for help and do, do you see the the COVID is the kick in the pants that we we needed to get that stuff moving i i think again it was a perfect storm right i think there was a lot of things having a conference at covid and that period of what else could have forced everybody to have to stay locked up in their house with their lives for two three months yeah right? Notice, like, really, the, there were no more movies. There were no more trips. There was, you know, just you and your house with your family. And that was the experiment, right? Can you handle this? Well, and it was, it was like, it, it, the great thing about it was it was a socioeconomic level or two, right? It didn't matter if you were poor, if you were rich, it didn't matter if you had a number, a multi-generational family living in a house or just, you know, a family of three. Um, everybody was was stuck under these conditions and that's when you kind of got to see okay who was living the healthiest lives who came through this the best who who it was it all a facade and get and leaving the house in the morning was the healthiest part of their day you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and i always like for me it, it the biggest eye opener was um how ill-equipped handling our children at home that was a, that for me was a perfect you know um experiment like how frustrating it was to you know how much we take for granted the ability to focus and uh, i think a lot of us were not equipped for that <laughs> no i actually was just chatting with an old friend of mine um i've known him for for 25 years and he he actually married my wife's cousin and they met at our wedding and so through that family connection i see him every couple of years and and he was like oh you got this podcast going on but uh, I don't get a chance to listen to podcasts much because at work, he works at a telecom company and he's like, I get, I get bombarded. He's like, I'm 12 hours a day. People are just coming by my desk to get me to do this and get me to do that. And I thought, 
man, that sounds excruciating. Like I go to my office and I close the door and I turn on the podcast nice and light and I just do my work. Right. And I, if I want to stand up and stretch, I stand up and stretch. If I want to go down and get a coffee, whatever. And, uh, and then it dawned on me that that was kind of what I did at this house for 18 months after during COVID, my kids were here all the time. The internet was never fast enough to, to do all the things that we wanted to be doing at the same time. It was just incredible that I was like, and that's what he does for a living and has for 25 years. Yeah. And, and I think that that's just it is that when we're in that grind and when we're in that nine to five or 10 to 10 to you know, eight to six, um, which is more the reality, um, we lose sight of that. We lose that ability to say, what is, what is another version of this look like? And it's, it's interesting that we kind of started to be able to understand how to do it. And now things are opening up again. And it's funny how many people I talk to that are saying, no, I want to get back. Like, yeah, we're a five and two, but I go back four days or three and two, pardon me, but I go back four days a week or uh, I need, you know, the team, the team needs to be together more for this collaboration. And it's, you know, not the managers always said that because if, if the teams aren't congregating, then the managers, you know, they need about, 30% 30% of the managers that they have, right? That's just the fact of it. So the managers are always big on, well, the culture says we have to work together, but a bunch of like rank and file sole contributors are saying, no, oh, you know what? I kind of like going in and I like being back. I had a nice break for a couple of years. And it's interesting to me how different people have, are reacting to once the kind of the decision goes back into their court, a bunch of them more than I thought are going back to work. Yeah, and I, but I think it's it's about what kind of environment you've created, right? And um, again, people crave community. They crave that interaction, right? And where it becomes, I think, where it becomes, I, I guess, unsustainable is where it isn't balanced, right? When you don't have that separation of work and home and life. And I think with COVID, people started to figure out a balance between you know, connecting with their family, connecting with their job and connecting with themselves. Now we're the biggest question mark is going to be seeing, well, are we going to go back to the factory nine to five, or are there going to be opportunities for people to create boundaries for themselves and actually enjoy what they're creating? So, so what does that look like for somebody like you coming out of this? And you've had this opportunity to work with all these people that are going through all these changes and tumult and you're still kind of doing your own thing. You've, you've got your, your practice up and running. Like you kind of made all these COVID changes a number of years before COVID. You did it before everybody else was doing them. And you've come to all these realizations on your own. Um, I don't know if you feel like you're further ahead than, than the average person on this or if you're still just figuring it out as well. But it has to look different for you than it does for most of the other people. Yeah, and I think, I think that's going to look different for everybody right? Like everybody is a unique, you know, they're unique and they're going to have unique problems and a unique solution for what they want to have their life look like. Right. And I think this is where, this is where I love coaching and which is why I love, and I, you know, bias, but I think everybody needs a coach because you, one of the important things is to create that at least vision of what you want, right? You might not be there today, but to be able to work towards it. And that's doing things like, what's your morning routine look like? What kind of habits do you want to create? What's your goal for your, you know, your relationship with your children? What's your goal for your relationship with your wife or your husband? Where do you see yourself in 10 years retirement wise? If you want to shift your job, well, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? And 
leaning into your strengths and doing the things that fill you up. Because let's be honest, work and our work environments take up, I would say about 60 to 70% of our waking hours. You need to feel satisfied there. You need to be filled up. You can use those hours to also accomplish your end goal. And so what I've done with my, with my life is I've found ways to put work, you know, be available for work, be available for my children and be available for my wife. And then, you know, first and foremost, be available for myself, surround myself with the people that are going to help me grow the groups that are going to fill me up and give me that boat crew to be able to lean on. Right. Um, and I come out stronger for it. I come out engaged and it's not perfect because it's an evolution. Life changes, life gets, you know, life is 50, 50. You're going to get the good and the bad and sometimes the ugly, but when your foundation is set so much easier to manage those changes. Well, and that should be like, the ultimate version of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, because you should be taking some of that from work. You should be taking that some of that from being a father and you should be taking some of that from being a partner. And then you, so if you're getting those three add up to 80 or 90 or whatever the number is, and then you're getting your 10 over here from just the work you're doing on yourself, you're still getting some from those other ones. And you're like, you should be more than a hundred. Like, you know what I'm saying? If, if you're doing and often I, I would suggest, and this is just me, maybe it's the work part that isn't giving you all that you need. Right. And the problem is, is that's the biggest piece of it. So if, if you're working in something that's not fulfilling and not filling your cup, um, you have the biggest, you know, to only be 80% fulfilled in the 60% piece of the pie, you can't make it up on the rest of them. That, that's, a, that's what leads us into like the burnout conversation. Right. Um, I know in March, I, uh, sorry. Yeah. March, I did a series on burnout and, what I started out with is it's a simple definition. You're doing more than you're getting back. Right. That's the feeling. That's the feeling is that I'm doing more than what I'm getting back. And when you say work, right, this, it, let's, we'll chunk it up to the big, the big quadrants, right? Work. Are you giving, putting in more than you're getting out? That's the easy balance. That's, you know, yes or no. In your relationships, do you feel like you're putting in more than you're getting out? Yes or no. Now, the interesting thing about how I coach and how I coach people out of that is it's in your control. You can get out of work more than you put in. You can get more out of your relationship by putting in more, right? And it's a, it's a little bit of a mindset and it's like that whole working out thing. The beginning, it's a little tough because you don't really see the benefit, right? If you've gained 20 pounds the first week of working out, you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. If you're in burnout, you need to have that feeling reignited. You need to have that fire built up again. And you've lost the reason why you go to work. You've lost the reason why you're married to your wife for you know the last 10, 15 years. And it's about reconnecting and putting in the habits and the mindset so that you can find that vision again. And this is the one thing I've noticed because I, you know, I was in the industry for 20 years is that you can change jobs a thousand times and nothing changes because you're still taking the, the baggage you have with you and no job will fill you up. That's not the, that's not the purpose of a job. Uh, well, the, the thing that kind of picks my curiosity, there was kind of at the very beginning where you talked about the control piece. And I think that's, where a lot of people 
need that that leap or, or the help of a coach to say that that to you know you say you can control that and, and a person may not feel that way you know they feel like I do all I can for this company and I only get paid XYZ dollars or I, I don't get the right amount of time off. I don't get the right amount of recognition. My title isn't so-and-so. How do you work with somebody to show them the places that they can't control that's going to result in, in more fulfillment from that quadrant of, of their existence? And it's interesting you say that because I did have a, a session with, with someone a couple of weeks ago and we talked about that because he was looking to jump companies. And one of the things I just started asking was, okay, what are all the reasons why? Like, what is it you like about where you are? What is it you don't like about where you are? And you break it up into a very, um, you know, tangible list where you're looking at it going, well, you're not offering much to the company other than X, Y, Z. Because once we get into that burnout mindset, and I'm guilty of this 100%, when we start thinking about what we can take, we stop thinking about what we give and what we offer and what we actually provide is value. And a great coach of mine said, you get paid on the value you provide. So if you are providing true value, if you are showing up as a true leader, if you are solving a problem unique, uniquely, you know, that you can solve, then you'll see the benefit of that. If yeah. you're not. Yeah, I think that's a level of self-awareness though that a lot of people just, you know what I mean? To, to say that I'm, I'm doing all this work, but it's not showing up like that to the people around me. That's, that's a pretty big leap, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think that's where the steps come in. That's where that awareness piece is really important to cultivate because until you can get the awareness of how, what's, or of what's in your responsibility and what's not, and what's out of your control, it goes back to the whole stoic philosophy of you control what's in your control and then you move away. And one of the things we don't get taught and we don't learn sometimes ever in our lives is how to create boundaries, right? Right. Um, what we often do is we sacrifice. You mentioned the, the pleasers, right? The people pleasers. I'm one myself. Um, the people pleasers can't say no to things. So because they can't say no to things, they create an imbalance in what they're doing in life. And that imbalance then creates resentment. Right. And then the resentment is what leads to all the other issues, anger, frustration, quitting, substance abuse, everything else. Well, and it's, it's funny that, that, that boundary setting, because the, the person who refuses to set boundaries or, or just isn't able to, they're going to resent the person that keeps asking more and more uh, when really it's, they need to have a long look in the mirror to understand why that person keeps asking more of them. It's because they let them. Yes. And that is where the responsibility piece comes in, right? And I think when I coach people, I really start basis. You know, the basis is about creating awareness. And the second piece is accepting responsibility, right? In every story we create, there's a hero and a villain. And we're always looking for the villain. We're always looking to blame. We're always looking to bring somebody in and say, you know what? If that was, if it wasn't for my boss, if he wasn't such a shit, I would, uh, you know, I'd be further ahead. Right. Yeah. Or there are no opportunities. We always like to throw it to the universe, like the universe is conspiring against us. Um, or our, you know, our wives are just too demanding and I can't get, you know, to do what I want to do. But that's a that's an issue of responsibility, setting your boundaries, saying no. You know, two weeks ago I, I had a podcast or a, a YouTube where I just basically taught people how to say no. And it's liberating. You well, know? and and the nice thing about that conversation is it gives people 
the tools to say no, but it also gives a bunch of people around them and the other people listening the opportunity to hear it, right? And no doesn't have to be a, a, a rejection of your idea because I said no to it. No is just, it's a great idea. I'm just not involved in it right now. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's really, as I said, it's quite liberating to basically say, that is awesome. You do it. <laughs> great idea. Great idea. That's a fantastic idea. I'm just not going to do it. And one comment I made that was a little flippant, but I do think there's a kernel of truth in it, is that if somebody's asking you to do it, it's not important enough for them to do it. Oh, the Eisenhower matrix, man. Delegate and do. Delegate, do, dump, and draw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if they're asking you to do it, really ask yourself, is this my priority? Is it going to move my needle forward? And it's okay to say no, even at work. And I think this is something that, um, you know, I was obviously in my career, I would say yes to everything because I thought that is what would get me further ahead. But again, that just bred resentment. If you say no to your boss, if they're, you know, if, you know, then they have to go back to the drawing board and, and figure out a way to get you to say yes. Yes. Without fear of, you know, reprisal or getting fired in, in a healthy workplace. That's how it would go. Right. That's right. Because that would then challenge them to ask themselves, is this necessary in the process? Or how did I frame this that they don't see the value in it? You know, that's, that's the big thing because it's easy to say, because I said so, right. As a, as an apparent, as a boss or whatever. Um, but if, if you get the true buy-in that, Hey, this is valuable for all of us, son for you to go make your bed and clean your room or employee for you to get the metrics on that that you're being measured on your invoicing or whatever up to speed this is why it's valuable and they just go and do it because they understand the value of it you know you're not having that conversation every month when the invoicing is all out of whack or when the bedroom's messy it just gets done because they understand the value that's right. And it's funny because I know we're, we're kind of moving all over the place. You know, we kind of moved into that leadership um, conversation, but you do have to show up as a leader and have those skills in your life. And a leader does know how to prioritize and how to say yes and no to things. Um, you know, who are the worst empl employees that are in our sphere, Gord? Our kids. Yeah. They're terrible employees. Oh, I they wouldn't hire either of mine. <laughs> but it's interesting when you look at the deficiencies that are in our, that our children have, there are deficiencies as leaders and as parents. And so how do you, like you said, relay the message and get buy-in Yeah. via a threat or because they understand the big picture. And the other part of it is, is you're dealing with these maturing, you know, minds that aren't, you know, fully developed. So relying on them to get the big picture all the time, is a fool's game. They just won't, they, they don't think like that. So you have to figure out ways you have to be challenging or challenging them to, to think about things in a manner that makes them want to do the things that you want them to do without it devolving to, because I told you so every time. Yeah. And I, and I think this goes back and you probably see this trend too, within the men's groups as such is that as guys, we just want to say what we want and have it be done. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, is unique. I think unique to us as a, as a, as a gender where we're like, what's the problem? I gave you the solution. Just go do it. Well, yeah. And there's, I've, I've had this opportunity to, to explore this a little bit with a, with a, a person that's working for me and, and he's, he's a in incredibly intelligent wealth and knowledge guy, 
a little rough around the edges. And, you know, we wanted to do some mentoring and some training. And the first thing he says is, well, I'm, you know, I'll do it, but like, I, I don't suffer fools. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to suffer a fool. I'm asking you to train somebody who's not as competent as you. And if, if you can't understand the difference between those tasks, then, then you're not right for either of them. And, and that's just it, right? Because I think if have a little empathy there, I'm a fool, right? We were all fools at some point. Absolutely. New. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said earlier, listening back to some of my earlier podcasts, I think I can't, I can't believe I thought that was the move and this would be episode 55 or six or whatever it'll be. And I'll listen to episode hundred. I'll listen back to this one and the next time you come on and be like, I can't believe I thought that was the move. So that's how it goes, right? We're always developing. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, I think it's, it's a testament to those of us who will just keep trying and keep, you know, working at the recipe until, until never, because the recipe is never fixed. You never have a perfect recipe. You're just trying it. And what works, you like, keep doing it. If it doesn't stop working for you, you tack, pivot and change. Well, and that's the thing is, is you might perfect the recipe, but then without anybody telling you, they'll change the ingredients, right? <laughs> but that, yeah, that's the fun though. And I think if you can, if you can learn, enjoy that part of it, then, then life just starts to become really curious and interesting. That's uh, I, 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 that's an incredibly healthy mindset. I don't think it's intuitive, especially for a lot of men coming out of the last couple of years. Um, I think we were all saying, okay, that's enough change. I need things the way I need them now for 12 months so that I can get used to this. Right. Yeah. And what I always say back is like, it's never going to, it's never going to stay the same. And I think that's the one thing we have to sit with and just accept, you know, that acceptance that it's going to change like period. And how you adapt to that change is what defines you ultimately, you know, and how you show up and everyone around you who sees that, you know, that you can be an inspiration of them or you can be an example of what not to do. An inspiration or an example. That's, uh, that's quite the options. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could get a unanimous decision on that one. If I did a poll today. Yeah. If you're looking for, uh, if you're looking for validation on that one, I think I know which one I'd go with. Yeah. Right. So what's, uh, what, what's the, the, like coming out of this, you're coming into summer in California. Are you full, fully staffed or, or your, your schedule's full with people? Are you looking for people? Are you doing lots of Facebook lives? What, what, how do you get in your engagement these days? So right now what I've been doing this year is I've been um, doing a weekly Facebook live. Uh, you can follow me at just Pete Baptist on Facebook um, or through my website or YouTube channel. Um, my website's PeteBaskus.com. So www.PeteBaskus.com. And then on YouTube, PeteBaskus, the life coach. Um, what I've been doing is monthly series that tackle different topics. In February, I started with anger. I'm, gonna re- I'm redoing that one because um, of the technical issues. You know, as you start learning, as you start putting them out there, you learn how what works and what doesn't. Um, March was burnout. April was um, was overwhelmed. And this month, I'm really excited because it's going into failure and confidence, which I think is a just a fun topic in general because we always talk about confidence. Um, what does it take to gain it? Uh, overcoming up, you know, overcoming failures, which is a huge issue, especially when it comes to quitting jobs or losing jobs or quitting on relationships or any endeavor that we do that we want to set up. Um, so that's going to be all through the month of May. 
And right now I'm offering anyone who, who is willing to, you know, who wants a 45 minute strategy session with me one-on-one, I'm, I'm offering that to, you know, your, your listeners and to anyone who wants to go to the link and that's um, through petebaskus.com. So I'm going to have a, so yeah, you can sign up for a 45 minute session through there to do a strategy session with me. I'm going to help you to identify a goal and again, uh, collaborate, brainstorm the ideas to help create that blueprint for you. And there you go. And then it's off to the races. So I, I'm really just trying to gain that engagement for people, get them aware that it's important to have that blueprint, how much fun it can be to collaborate with somebody. And then the real work after the plan is what happens when you hit that first stumbling block. So the, the way I, uh, I wanted to end this is after... Uh, so I listened back to the one we did last year and, and you, you made a comment in it and it was towards the end and it really stuck out for me. And so after on the outro, I, I repeated it and it said the comment uh, was, if you're going to make a change, make it today. And I want to get your take on what, what that statement means to Pete a year later after you, after you said it on my podcast. It's funny because change happens fast when you put the work in. That's what I, that's what I've realized. So every day that you just sit with that thought of, well, I'll, I'll get to that later. Yeah. Right. Is one, it, it, you're basically sacrificing your ultimate happiness and your ultimate rate of return. Right. So the effort that you put in to change now is going to pay dividends. So one year, like you said, it goes by fast. And if you had implemented even one of the things I had mentioned last year in our talk, you know, changing relationship changing how you view yourself meditating or exercising in a year you'd be a completely different person yeah yeah that's actually i just saw something on instagram about that how they make movies about how you go back in time and one little change alters the future and then nobody thinks that if that one little change occurred today what's what could their future look like and it's like it's the the simplest thing but i mean that it doesn't sell movies marty mcfly and and uh, Doc Brown, so nobody thinks about it. Nobody makes a movie about it. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I just saw a meme today, which was hilarious. It was a picture of an overweight guy, you know, with his belly hanging out, hanging out on a wall, looking sexy. And it said, um, "The ninety day plan of I'm just thinking about it. The before and after results were the exact same picture." Right. So if you just keep thinking about it, nothing will change. It was a lot of fun to go back and chat with Pete about some of the things that have happened over the last year, both within his practice and what he's doing and, and with the podcast and how our points of view have changed so much in that year, you know, coming out of COVID, a lot of things have really changed the way people look at things with work, like we talked about and, and all the other um, different uh, aspects of our lives that have been touched by that. And it was interesting to sit back and talk to Pete kind of a year later and, and see how he feels about it um, from his point of view as a, someone who, who pulled out of that rat race, so to speak, before all of this happened. And now he's, you know, kind of going back to normal quote unquote, that is his, you know, of his own doing. And, and that's something that we talk about a lot, just, um, you know, with people in my life, like as we return to quote unquote normal, um, did normal work for you before, you know, if you were unhappy and then you got this two year sabbatical where nothing made sense and everyone's wanting to go back to normal if it didn't work for you, then it's not going to work for you now. And that's what Pete tries to talk about, about, you know, if you, if you have these situations in your life that keep being um, unfulfilling or, or making you unhappy, 
there's usually uh, something about you or the way that you're approaching those situations that is is making it like that. So a lot of fun, something to think about for sure too. And that's uh, and that's why we do this. It's cool. I, I was thinking about Pete um, going back and listening to some old episodes and and he reached out and said, hey man, I've been listening, following along. I think it's great what you're doing. Let's do it again sometime. And it's going to be like almost a year to the day, I think like 51 weeks since his came out. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun to revisit it and go back. Great episode uh, this week. We have a great one coming next week. Um, uh, a gentleman that I knew growing up or didn't know well, but played hockey and ball against from two towns over kind of thing. And, uh, and he's um, got a great story about coming back to, to that area in 2018 and starting up a, a smokehouse restaurant, you know, doing kind of the thing that every, every guy with a smoker dreams about doing, uh, <clears throat> making, making people happy with food and, and Farron Soford is his name. And, and it's just a great conversation about what goes into that decision, what goes into that life and what has gone into it since COVID, you know, it's, uh, it's been a really tough time. Like I said, it was 2018 when he came back and started and, uh, and he's, you know, weathered probably as bad as it's ever going to get in the first five years. So it, it's an interesting conversation, a lot of fun to sit and chat with a guy like that and, and see what goes into it. So again, we're uh, we're super happy everyone's uh, clipping along here with us. We're having a lot of fun with it. And as we always say, there are no wrong answers and there's no test at the end. So make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. That is www.bensound.com. We'd also like to thank Chin Whiskers for the promotional consideration. You can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening. Test the microphone. No mmm noise.